please open up your Bibles, please, to the book of Romans chapter 12. Book of Romans chapter 12, where we continue where we left off last week. Now, after spending 11 chapters, <laughs> 315 verses later, we come to the third section of the book of Romans. And we see here that as we studied the last 11 chapters, we saw how man's destitute condition from birth we found ourselves. And also that God's wonderful salvation, his plan for his, 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 his creation, you and I, and what plan of salvation that was. And we understood that the work is done by Jesus already. We understand that he, we are made righteous in Christ and that there is nothing more to do to get close to our Lord or to enjoy the blessing and the love from the Lord other than by faith accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. He's done everything else. You can't earn his love. You can't, you can't uh, manipulate it. You can't, you can't groan and struggle and strive to get anything more than what he's already done for you and I, and he's died on the cross for all of your sins and mine. All we have to do is believe, trust in him with all of our heart and mind, soul, and strength. And now, in light of everything we've learned, the doctrinal things that we have learned over the last 11 chapters, we now can come to the Lord and say, Lord, what do you have for me? I just want to freely express my love to you. I just want to freely give back to you. What do you have for me? And I just want to serve you. How am I to serve you? You're my Lord. You're my master. I just want to just live the rest of my life until I'm in your loving arms in heaven. I just want to serve you. Well, Paul transitions that for us as readers, transitions us and shows us what we are to now do as believers, as children of God. We start this third section. We, we, we call it the practice of salvation. You know, we've learned everything about salvation. Now we learn about the practice of salvation for, for chapters 12 through 16. And it applies for those who are saved, those who have received salvation. And when we have been saved, we have received that salvation, that there should have been a change in our lives. A transformation should have taken place and our minds are in our hearts. Our actions and our words would be different and in line with Jesus' character as we study the word. We learn and grow in our relationship and knowing who he is. And we then are transformed or transition in our, our words. Our actions should line up very clearly with the actions and the words of our Lord. And then today in chapter 12, Paul begins to encourage us to start living and serving our Lord. We must translate our learning of doctrine over these last several weeks into practical living and showing by our daily lives that we trust God's word. 
We trust him with all of our heart and mind, soul, and strength. And, it's, and how do we know that we trust the Lord? By living and, and seeing and how it's played out and lived out in our lives and the things we think of, the words we use, and the actions in our daily lives. We are to live and have a living uh, faith, a living that transformed life that has taken place internally. In a transformed Christian life, we had the biblical pattern that we have seen. And, and we see this many times throughout the epistles of Paul, that he reveals the doctrine, the truth, but then he then transitions says, now this is how you're to live, which is our duty. And together, what you believe must determine how you behave. We just have to look at your behavior. Your behavior at work, your behavior in the house, behind closed doors, in public. How your behavior reflects a heart or reflects what has been, should have transformed in your heart. And so today, Paul will discuss our relationships with many different people. Because if you've been transformed by God, your relationships with others should line up with that. And we're going to see, first of all, our relationship and how we behave with our Lord. We're going to see that in verses 1 and 2. Then we're going to see the relationship with yourself in verse 3. Then we're going to see our relationships with the church or other believers in verses 4 through 16. And then we're going to see our relationship and how we're to behave with our enemies, verses 17 through verse 21. And then later, we will then go into another day, chapter 13. No, we won't take chapter 13 today. We're hoping to get through chapter verses 21. But in chapter 13, we're going to see our relationship with the government. And then chapters 14 and 15, we will see our relationship with believers who disagree. So here we'll start in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. And we will take and what it means to be living the, the transformed life. And we will see four different, those four different relationships. And in the very first one, our relationship with the Lord, it says, Paul starts off by says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. So here in very first verse 1, we see that Paul begs his brethren, you and I, he begs believers, I beseech you, after all I've just written for the last 11 chapters, all this I've written, I've clearly laid out the doctrinal truth to you. I beseech you, I beg you. That your life will be transformed and you will no longer live the way you used to live, but live in accordance and in line with the truths I just lined out for you. He says, God calls us to make a choice about the way we, we live for him. And he begs us, he encourages, he exhorts us to live that Christian life. By the mercies of God, only by the mercies of God that we can actually live a Christian life. And Paul reminds us that we 
do this because of the mercy shown to us by God that we've seen through all of Romans chapter 1 through 11. And that we are only able to offer ourselves to God as he works his mercy in us. And as he encourages us to walk and the mercies are new every day to walk according to his way. That God commanded us to do this and he makes it possible for us to do it. He doesn't leave you out there going, oh, here's the truth. Figure it out on your own. He says, here's the truth. And now I'm going to help you to live that and to walk that kind of life. Because of his love for us. Giving yourself to him completely is what Paul and what the word God expects of us. Give yourself completely to him. Why? Why is he... Does he want us to completely give our lives to him? And it's because he did everything for you. Because Jesus laid down his life for you first. And because of that, our natural response, our natural way of reasonable service is to naturally lay down our lives for him also. Before we trusted Christ... We used our body for sinful pleasures and purposes that lined up with this world. That's what the world did. That's what the world does. That's what the world thinks. That's how I'm going to have my body. That's what I'm going to, how I'm going to live in this world. And it was just lined up for this worldly purposes, for sinful pleasures and purposes. But now that we belong to him, we want to use our body for his glory. We no longer desire to fulfill our lustful thoughts, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the thoughts, the pride of life. That is no longer who we are. We're not worldly. That's, we now, based on truth, we want to now live holy. That will glorify God. It's our reasonable response, our reasonable service. And when we think of the body, think of it in totality as we studied in those previous chapters, that the body is compiled of the spirit, the soul, and the flesh. And so when we say we're giving our body out, giving it over to God completely, that says we're giving our mind over completely, our whole entire feelings and our emotions and everything are to be in line with God's truth, not, our, not the world's, not our neighbor's. And even our spirit is to be completely surrendered over to him. Because we know that they each dwell and live within this body that God has given us. And when we give the body to God, the soul and the spirit go with it. They're one. Three, three components of what you're made up of, but we're one. And so we are to present our bodies. It means to, that God wants you, not just your work, not what you can get out of you. That's not important to him. He wants you. He loves you. He doesn't want you so you could go do something. He wants you, and he wants to love on you, and he wants to spend time with you. It's a personal relationship. Thinking of today in this world today says that your, our body must tell our will what to do. 
But the Bible says that our will must bring the body as a living sacrifice to God. But the world teaches completely upside down. That's why we don't listen to the world. We listen to what the scriptures say. Because it's never, he's never wrong. See, the body is a wonderful servant. But a terrible master. When you let your body master your life, it will destroy you. Because you'll never be content. You'll never be fulfilled. You'll always want more. But if you let and surrender your body to God, then all of a sudden God then uses that body he's given you, the spirit that is alive, a soul that is tr comes alive for wonderful things that he has for you to do. In your family, in your marriage, at work, in your community. See, Paul shows here that God is concerned about our bodies. 1 Corinthians 6.20 reminds us that God has bought our bodies with a price and that the Christian's body is a God's temple. Because when you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, God actually comes in and lives inside this body of yours. Becomes the temple, a home for him. And that the Spirit of God dwells within us. And we see that in, back in Romans 8 verse 9. And because of that, all he wants is a holy, acceptable to God. He, when we offer our body, God intends it to be a holy and acceptable sacrifice. And do you know what reasonable service means? It's our natural response is a life of worship according to God's word. If you have surrendered your body to him, our natural response is just go, I'm just going to live according to God's word. According to his truth. That's going to be a life of worship. I'm just going to worship him in truth and in spirit. In verse 2 we see, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. See, we're to resist conformity to the world. If you're a child of God, we're to resist conformity of what the world's trying to do to you through marketing and everything else. We are to embrace the transformation that comes in Jesus Christ. We are to put off the world and put on Christ. We are to allow him to transform your life from the inside out. The world wants to control your mind. Do you know that? But God wants to transform your life. See, either, every one of us falls in two categories. You're a conformer or you're a transformer. You're one of two. In the world, if the world controls your thinking, you're a conformer. If God controls your thinking, you're a transformer. Let's say, let's put it in practical terms. If you're a conformer and you let the world dictate and sway and move how you feel and think, then you're like a thermometer. You go up and down. 
You see it in people's lives. Oh, it's snowing. Oh, it's terrible. Life's crashing down around me. I, it's miserable. I, you know, I need more vitamin D. You know, you just, you just, just I need more sun. This is terrible. What, what, but life is terrible. Life is terrible. Thermometer just dropped sub-zero. It's still 40, but it's, it, it's 20 below zero now. And then the next day, or the previous day, <laughs> we oh, why doesn't everyone live here? This is a beautiful place. I'm in such a great mood. Oh, it's 70. Oh, this is beautiful. Let, let's just get out. Let's be merry and gladness. What happened to yesterday? The thermometer dropped because you're a conformer. But we want to be a thermostat. We want to be a transformer. We want to understand and not be swayed by the elements of this world, but be swayed by God giving us a contentment and gladness and joy regardless of what the temperature or what is happening in our lives around us. Because what's going to happen is if you allow the culture of this world to sway you, you're going to, temperature is going to drop up and down. As a transformer, a thermostat, changing the climate of the culture is what you're about. The culture doesn't change you. You are the thermostat. You're going to change the culture of where you're planted. You will affect everyone around you. That's a transformer. That is what God's called us to do, to be a light in a dark world. To give hope where there's no hope. Are you tracking with me? Theo? Amen? Hallelujah grunt? Anything? Is it good? This, Paul is very clear here. Do not be conformed to this world. It warns us of the world system. That popular culture, that trendy things that are happening, the manner of thinking of re that's rebellion and that goes against the, and conflicts with the things of God. It's very clear in our day today. If you allow what the news and the things around us that are swaying you and how you feel and think and move and decisions you make based on the culture, it completely rebels against the truth of God. You're a thermostat. I mean, a, a thermometer. You must change. You're a conformer. We must be steadfast in the truths of God, the word of God. You become a thermostat and you become a transformer of those around you who are willing to listen. Who are teachable. But not only do you not conform, but you're to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This is completely opposite of being conformed to the world. The battle is between conforming the world and being transformed within the mind of the believer. Christians must think differently. That's why so many people look, oh, you're so different. Why are you so, you seem weird. And to the world, we are weird. To those who are even in the Christian environment, who think worldly, who cardinal thinking, will come against you of those who hold fast to the word of God in every aspect of their life. 
they'll think, oh, why use a Jesus phrase? Just play the Christianity, you know, Christian thing. You must keep your mind on Jesus. God transforms our minds and makes us spiritually minded by using his word. And as you spend time meditating on God's word, and as you memorize God's word, as you partake and allow that to seep in and change your inner man, to change the heart, then God will gradually make your mind more spiritually minded. Oh, how many times? In my own walk when I first got saved, and how many times as I've heard from so many who are just coming to the Lord, how do I get this stinking thinking out, and how do I think more godly? Because I'm struggling here. And if you remember, Paul had that same struggle. Why do I do the things that I do that I know I'm not supposed to do? <laughs> and I, oh, I want to do these other things. I know these are right things to do, but I just can't get myself to do it. Why is that struggle there? Because of the spiritual warfare between the flesh and the spirit. What's the answer? How do you live that transformed life? By allowing the word of God to transform the mind. Stop focusing on the world and start focusing on Jesus. Partake of the word of God, allowing it to come in and to transform the way you think. And you will think less of yourself and less of this world and more of him and more of others. It's a very simple, not always easy, but you have to go through that spiritual battle. See, the challenge that most people have is that transformation that needs to take place. Paul talks about that transformation or that renewing or metamorphosis that must take place. And we see it only a couple other times, this word here. And we see it in Mark 9, 2, 3, where Jesus is, 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 is transformed in his transfiguration. That, that same word is used there. And we also see the word used to describe what happens to you and I when we see the Lord face to face as we, we draw to him or draw close to him. And you, you'll see it in 2 Corinthians 3, 18. It says, but we all... With unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. We're being transformed as we come and want to see the Lord face to face. We want to hear from him. We want to see him. And we do that by being in the word of God. And he reveals himself to us. See, the problem is that so many people spend their time basing their life on feeling. Oh, how do I feel today? How do I feel about my job today? How do I feel about my spouse today? How do I feel about, um, about worshiping today? How do I feel about the preacher today? And this life of feeling that people are are who are conformers continue to live in the feeling. And if they're not feeling it, there must be wrong. I'm not wrong. They're wrong. Because I'm not feeling it. But this life by feeling will never know the transforming power of God because it ignores the renewing of the mind that needs to take place in them. 
Or if it's not based on feeling, it's based on doing. I have a feeling of doing, and if you're not doing it, if you're not doing something, there must be something wrong. Don't give me the theology. Just tell me what I need to do. Give me the four points that I have to go do. Let me ch I'll check it off. Give me the seven points so that I know that I ac accomplished my task, my mission, and I get to move up the next la ladder, step of the ladder. Give me the 12-point step, and oh, man, I'm going to be free. Everyone wants a program. Everyone wants step-by-steps. So I need to follow it. Somehow, that's what's going to help me live this Christian life. But it's not. That's not going to transform your mind. God is never against feeling and doing. He's a God of compassion. He says, don't be just hearers, but doers of the words. So it's not what he's saying here. He's just saying, if you think you're going to rely upon you how you feel or how what you accomplish is what's going to transform you, you've missed the whole point. The first question is not how do I feel and what do I do. Rather, it must be what is true here? What does God's word say about this? That's the question we are always to ask. And when we do that, God will transform you to be in line with his will according to his word. See, transformation occurs only when we study the word and not forsake of the word, but not in forsake of the word, but in order to be touched by the word. John 1 Verse 1 and verse 14 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. It's the incarnation of God himself in the flesh. The Word became flesh, becoming personable, touchable, relatable, who will transform you if you let him. But the challenge is, is if you come to him and say, intellectually, I'm going to read the Word of God. And every commentary that is out there. Academically, I'm going to go to college and I'm going to get that theology degree, the biblical study degree, and I have accomplished. Oh, I know the theology better than you. I know the value and I know every detail of it. I can tell you in Greek, Hebrew, and Latin. You may know it. You may be very intelligent, but you're not changed. You're not transformed. Too often, one seeks information in the word, but completely neglects the communication with the word himself made. Oh, how many times have, have I and, and maybe you have sat and tried to read the word of God and all you've done is, I've read the word. I've got through two chapters. Yes, I did it today. But all you've done is read. You haven't spent time with him. You haven't communed with him. There was no communication with him. 
you've just read. People, I, I really hope you hear me. I beseech you. I beg you. Do not just read and say you know the word because that is just, you're just like the th Pharisees. You must have a personal relationship with Jesus and you do that by reading and talking to him. He wants to communicate with you. He wants to transform you. He wants to work in your life. Let him do that. Because you want, do you not want that living, that living that transformed life? Do you not? Because there is really no other way. But going back into the world, and it's just that is just grieving to think that one would go back after knowing so much, but missing the actual person. Proof will come out as it, that you've been transformed by good and acceptable and perfect will of God. There'll be a change in your life, and your life will line up in the will of God. You'll read the word, and you'll go, yes, Lord, that, that speaks in my life. Yes, Lord, that is good. That's right. It's acceptable to you. This is pleasing to you. Praise God. I'm thankful. Oh, it never used to be like that. No, 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 no. Oh, no. I used to read the word and go, whoo, when I first got saved, going, oh, that's speaking of me. Oh, that's not, that's me. Oh, mercy, Lord, have mercy. And I used to have to, I raised my hand, oh, Lord, please save me, every Sunday for several, several, several weeks. And then finally, the things of the world, the things of the flesh, the pride of life just faded away. And it just became more about him and not me. It wasn't what I could get out of him or out of the system or out of church. Because I'm going to get something out of church because I need something. No, it's all about Jesus and what I can give to him and what I can give to others. It transforms. So be patient. Wherever you are in that spectrum, be patient. Keep showing up regardless of how you feel. Regardless of what you do, just keep showing up. Keep being the word. Keep seeking after him. Keep talking to him and allow him to transform your mind and watch the world and your flesh just fade away and he becomes the dominance of your mind. It's a beautiful thing. So remember, living the transformed life starts by surrendering our will to God through a disciplined prayer. Discipline, communicate, constantly communicating with God. And yielding our plans to his plans. The plans of the day that he has given you. When you wake up in the morning, Lord, I give this day to you. It's your day. What do you have for me today? And let him work as he sees best. We must yield daily to him our bodies, our minds, our wills. We must pray about everything and let God have his way in everything. How freeing that life is. Now we see in verse 3 our relationship with ourselves. In Romans 12, 3 it says, 
For I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. See, Paul will soon be speaking about spiritual gifts in the body of Christ. And those gifts that he gives to you and to I for the body of Christ can sometimes cause someone to think more highly of themselves. Think they've arrived. Look at my gift. What is your gift? Is that all you're doing for the Lord? Is that all you've done? And you, people start comparing with people. They get jealous of what God is doing in someone else's life versus what they want to do. These things come up. But Paul warns us, don't allow that to happen. Just be very careful in how you see yourself. Because you know so much, don't think more highly of yourself. Just let it go. Be humble. Be soberly minded. Because God has dealt out a, those gifts to each person by measure of faith. He is in control of what he's decided what he, to give you as a gift and gifts. So the idea as God has dealt out by faith and as he, he's given you and I these gifts to be able to serve the body of Christ... Be thankful, be content, and allow, and just be faithful and obedient to what he's done and asking you to do. And to think more highly of yourself or even less highly of yourself, both is sin. Did you know that? Thinking more highly of yourself is sin. And even taking the stance of, oh, I'm nothing. Oh, who am I? is also sin. We have to have a proper view of who we are in Christ and what God has given you and go back to read Galatians chapter 6, verses 3 through 5. Remember, we are saved by grace through faith, Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, and we must live and see by grace through faith. We must. Now we see the third relationship, our relationships with other believers, the church. He says in verse, verses 4 and 5 of Romans chapter 12, it says, For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. So we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. So we are made up of one body. That's all made up of individual people like you and I. And we come together, but we're still one body in Christ. The church is this unified whole or one body, yet we are distinct within that body as individual members. So there is unity in the body, but there is not uh, uninformed, or um, what's the word I'm thinking of, but but not complete uniformity. See, some people think there's this 
this, this, this sense of, okay, we got to be unity, but we all have to act and look and behave the same way in certain things. But there's not. There's uniform. There's, there's, not unif- there's uniformity in a way that is pleasing to God because he's given you different gifts, so you're going to do different things for him. Not everyone's going to be this, in the body all toes or all nose or all hands. There's the diversity, but we're still one body. There's still unity. And the hand cannot rebel against the nose. Or you're constantly hitting the nose. That's not good for the body. If, you're, if a part of the body goes against another part of the body, it hurts the body as a whole. Anyone in the medical world, you know this. You've seen this. Maybe you've personally experienced where something in your body starts to reject in your body. becomes cancerous. Stops. I mean, I would just hurt the, hurt the thumb. You never realize how much you use that thumb until you hurt the thumb. I'm like, how many times do I touch with this thumb? And it hurts every single time I've touched it. Prior to that, you never thought about the thumb. You just knew it there. You used it when you had to. But man, how amazing when you hurt that some part of the body, how it has a radiant effect across the body. We have to be very careful as, as, as part of an individual of this body to keep that unity and that love. Unity should never be promoted at the expense of individuality or individuality should never diminish the church's essential unity in Christ. Our common ground is we are one body in Christ. We are to faithfully cooperate and do our part lovingly and joyfully in the body of Christ with the ministry we are called to do. Now in verses 6 through 8, we're going to continue to see this relationship with the members within the church. It says, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. And he's going to outline these different gifts. First gift is if prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. The second one is our ministry. Let us use it in our ministry. He who teaches in teaching. He who exhorts in exhortation. He who gives with liberality. He who leads with diligence. And he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. So he's highlighting these motivational gifts that he's given to you and I once we are saved. It says right here, in the differences in these gifts is all due to the grace of God partaking them out. So it's not a, a fluke that God has guided you to this part of the body so that he's given you a gift to help with this body. It's not about you. It's about the body. And so in, in this church is part of a larger body. And so God has brought us here for a purpose within this community. Yes, there's other parts of the body out there, but there's a specific reason why God has brought us here to have as a body of believers here. And so as we go through this, prophecy must be practiced in proportion to our faith. God may give us something to say to an individual or something to say to the church body that stretches our faith. And if we can't prophesy in faith and trust that God has really spoken to us, we shouldn't be saying it to someone else. 
Don't, this, this, this gift is when God puts on your heart. He's giving you the gift for you to give truth and so that you will be able to share that to an individual or to the church body as a whole in proportion to faith. So many times people take this and use that gift as a, as a platform to just want to blast people. God saith, and I'm going to tell you. So if I say God saith, then you're going to have to receive it. Well, no, not always. Because it may not be according to, God, according to faith and God's, according to God's truth. So you don't have to receive from someone who just says, and God saith. We're not talking about foretelling like predicting sense, that's not what prophecy strictly means. It's more about accurately foretelling the heart and the mind of God, declaring truth, which may or may not include predictive aspect of it. Someone who's got the gift of prophecy can just, just has, God speaks to the heart and says, This is truth, and you really need to share this truth and love to the body of Christ so that everyone is encouraged and uplifted and and, and will be blessed by it. Or you need to share this truth with this person because they need to be encouraged and uplifted and, and understand God's truth. And so God uses that person with that gift to share prophecy of God's truth and the mind and the heart of God in regards to that. But we have to be very careful not to do that with a, um, a heavy manner, like, oh, this is, this is really deep and really heavy. And, and No, that's not the way it works. It, it, it needs to be taken seriously, and it, but it needs to be done out of love and out of joy of helping because God's using you in the life of someone else or the body of Christ. Now, the ministry is the second one, and it has a broader picture, a picture of simply serving in practical ways. See, prophecy declares truth. Ministry depicts truth. It displays truth. Jesus was a perfect example of that. He would model that over and over. He would sit, he would doctrinally, he would share truth, declare truth with his disciples. Then he would show, and through illustrations, how he does that. He would minister to other people. He would touch the lives of other people. Ministering is simply serving others, touching the lives of others. And some have been given the gift of ministry, which is just very now spiritually natural to serve other people. Tremendous gift in the body. Now, the teaching is one of instruction. Prophecy declares truth. Ministry depicts truth. Teaching, a teacher defines truth to another person. The prophet may sporadically share God's truth to someone or to the body, but a teacher systematically teaches diligently over time, consistently, as we do here, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Exhortation is another You may be given that gift. An an exhortation is someone who encourages people to practice what they've been taught. Both are necessary for a healthy Christian life. You've heard me say this. If you sit here and receive the teaching and receive the word and receive the word, but you do not 
get exhorted, encouraged to go out and apply this to your life, then you're going to sit there and be a fat sheep. You're going to just get bloated and uncomfortable and discontented, and you'll complain about everything. You have a, become a critical spirit, and you'll be pointing everything out that's wrong versus just receiving and letting God transform your life. You're so busy trying to transform everyone else's life. a fat sheep. Taking in, taking in, give, get, get, get. And you're, but never living the Christian life. And those who are given the gift of exhortation can be a very challenging gift in today's world. Because if God has given you the gift of exhortation and you're trying to encourage others to apply and to live a Christian life. <laughs> People today don't like being told what to do because that's how they see it. They don't see it as being encouraging to live according. God's word says this, you can do this. This is good. This is right. You can, this, God will, can transform you. Who are you? I want you to accept me. I want you to take everything I'm giving to you and just take it. So it's a, it's a very difficult teach. It's a very difficult gift if you've given the gift of exhortation, because everyone wants to receive that. Now that we also have a, another one: he who gives refers to someone who is a channel or a vessel through whom God provides resources for His body. Giving expands the work of God. And we're to not, we're to, whoever's given this spiritual gift is to do it liberality or liberally, joyfully. God just keeps bringing in the resources to you because he knows that you're just going to keep pouring them out to the people in need around you to do great things for the body. Giving simply means giving with no strings attached. Someone who just freely gives. Someone who is called and gifted to be a giver stops give. If they ever stop giving liberally, then what happens is you will notice, you'll watch the resources start drying up to that person. Because if you're not going to do it, if he's given you a gift and he's given you the resources he wants you to freely give with no strings attached, just to freely give to bless people, then all of a sudden you say, I'm not going to do it anymore. Okay, then I will take the resources from you and I'll give it to someone else I've given that gift to and let them because they're going to be faithful to do what I've called them given the gift to do. Because they've forgotten why God has blessed them. They've blessed them with material things to be able to bless others, not for themselves. Another gift is one who leads. One who leads who shows diligence. It's easy for leaders to become discouraged and feel like giving up, but they must persevere if they are will, being the will and to please God by their leadership. That is one of the things that Paul is saying here. If you're going to be given the gift of leadership and you're being put in a position of leadership, you must do that diligently because I guarantee you people are going to come after you and come against you and put forces are going to come after you in a way to keep you from leading. But be diligent. lift you up above those things. The gift of leading, the gift of governing, 
They do it in, in a decent and orderly fashion with diligence. And then we see another gift, unbelievable gift that shows mercy, the gift of mercy. And whoever's been given the gift of mercy must do it cheerfulness. That should have that cheerfulness, cheerfully giving or showing mercy. And it's not easy to show mercy. It's a very difficult to show mercy, but even harder to be cheerful about it. That's why the supernatural gift by the Holy Spirit of giving you the gift of mercy will allow you to cheerfully show mercy to those who are in need, who are hurting, who are downtrodden, who are so desperate. Yes, they're complaining. Yes, they can't find anything positive. Yes, they are just miserable. But those who have been given the gift of mercy can see over all of that. And they continue to just love them and love them and love them and love them with a cheerful heart. See, we need to find our gift. We don't know your gift. We need, you need to ask God to reveal that gift to you. Develop that gift. Let others function in, in, in also in theirs as well. Allow that the church to benefit from the gifts that God has given. And in verse 9, we see the Christian family relationships here. He says, let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love and honor, giving preference to one another. Not lagging in, 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 in diligence, fervent, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. So he sits there and he, Paul outlines just some brief instructions to you and I. Things we need to really think about and make sure we apply to our lives. We're to love people, but not with hypocrisy. Oh, I love you, brother. Did you know what? Gossiping. Oh, no, that's not love. That's not love. I abhorred evil. What is evil? I don't see any problem watching horror things, thinking horror things, evil things, contemplating about evil things. I don't see a problem with that. No, it says abhor. Do not like evil. Stay away from evil. 1 Thessalonians 5.22 says, abstain from every form of evil. So Paul's saying it's important for you as a Christian, stay away, abhor the evil. Some people rejoice in evil. Do you know that? They love evil. They consume it in every form of electronics and everything else. God says that's not good. Paul reminds us that's not good. We're to be kindly affectionate to one another. Christians should not be cold and standoffish and have attitudes. That is not good. And we're giving preference to one another, showing that preference and, and displaying affection of genuine affection and love to other people. That is what we're to do. 
We're not lagging in diligence. We're not fervent in spirit. We have to be serving the Lord. We are called to be warm relations with people. We're called to have good manners with one another. We're knowing that, that we're to work hard. We're not to be lazy Christian, lazy sheep. We are to do and, and to be fervent in what God's asking and calling us to do and using that gift for the Father. And we're to be rejoicing in hope, not rejoicing in results. I'm only rejoicing if I get the result I want. No, he says re rejoicing in the hope. We have a hope. We have a future. We have eternity in front of us. The call to hope usually has in mind or an ultimate reward that will come from with Jesus. We know we'll be rewarded in heaven. We know we have a place in heaven. We know this world is falling apart, but we still rejoice in the hope of eternal hope. Jesus is coming back for you and I as his, as his child. Paul says we are to serve God by rejoicing in hope. And we're to have patience in tribulations. That means we're going to have tribulations. <laughs> Things are not going to go smoothly for you and I. There's going to be difficult times that are going to come. But they are not to be excuses for us to abandon our hope in Jesus. And we're to be continuing steadfastly in prayer. There are three key things just in verse 12 alone. We are to praise, we are to be patient, and we are to pray. You start planting those seeds in your life daily. You will be living that transformed life. Praise him. Be patient. Continually talk, continually pray. And you will watch how God is going to transform your life. And then what happens, you'll see. Then your, our care and concern will be demonstrated through practical works, practical deeds that we do for other people. We're going to distribute to the needs of the saints. We're going to see the need of a saint. We're going to, and God has provided the resources. We're going to go and provide that. We're going to help them. And we're also going to give to hospitality. Hospitality is the hospital. You're a hospital. You, you see people who are hurting. You see people who are lonely. And they'll come your way. And you just practically open up your doors. And you allow them to come to you. And to minister to their most hurting needs. And it aims to serve others and not for self. Remember, we need to find God's will by giving your life to him first. And by keeping your mind on him daily. Don't think too highly of yourself. Just flow in the giving, the gifting that God has given you. And above all, let love be without hypocrisy in your relationships with others. In verse 14, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those rejoice who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. 
repay no evil, no one, repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight, in the, in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So we see now what it means to, in our relationships, we've been with our enemies. Those who want to persecute you. And that can be those who persecute you within the church. Verse 14. But we're not to bless them. I mean, we're to bless them and not to curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Matthew 5, 46. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? It's so easy to love those who are lovable. But will you allow God to work through your life and to love those who don't love you? You're going to need God to help you to do that. Especially diligently over time and, 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 and to, to be able to do that. But you have, and it's also be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things. Don't put yourself like you're trying to achieve things in, in the spiritual realm. That you, you've arrived and you've achieved certain positions in, in the church. Don't, don't do that. Don't meet this high things and be, associate, be, but be some, associated with the humble, those who have nothing. Be humble. Be willing to, to work alongside and to serve and to give to those who have a lot or have nothing. Treat everyone equally. Are you not all brothers? Are you not all sisters? That's how we're to, to, to come alongside our brothers and sisters in the, in the body. We have to have that humbled mindset. And we're not to repay Evil for evil. Even for those non-believers coming against you, the enemies that are coming against you. We're not to repay. You just have to let God do a work. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. We don't have to figure out a way to get back after our enemies. At this point in the state of their life, isn't hell the worst of all? Should we not be praying for our enemies? You pray for that person, pray that they get saved, that they would have a change of heart, they don't go to hell? That's what we want to do. That's showing love. And Paul understood it's not easy. If, you know, if, if it's possible, as much depends on you, live peaceably with all men. But it's, he's recognizing, even if you could try and you try and you try, some people don't want to live peaceably with you. 
they're just out to get you. They just want to destroy you because they're being used by the enemy. Because And all the enemy and Satan wants to do is to destroy and kill. So don't be surprised. Try to live peaceably with them. Do acts of kindness toward them. Give to them. Show, do that. And we see that Paul even says, if you do this, if you feed the hungry, that your enemy, and you feed them, and if they're thirsty, you give them drink, you've helped them try to provide the basic needs, you've given them money, you've done everything you can to help them to get settled and do what they need, and they still reject you, they still, just give them to the Lord. The Lord will deal with them. You try. Just keep praying for their salvation. Keep praying that they have a change of heart. And if you do these, what does he say right there? It's like you'll be doing this. It's like keeping coals on a fire on their heads. It, what that probably means is that it's this burning conviction you hope will come to them and says, why are we doing that to them? They've just shown nothing but love and kindness and helped us and everything else. Why are we doing this? I'm so convicted. I need to change. I need to change what I'm thinking how I think about those people. Most of all, in verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That's what it means living the transformed life.